You're listening to the SSPX Podcast. This week, we're speaking with Father Patrick Rutledge, who's the prior of Assumption Chapel in St. Mary's, Kansas. He's also the rector of St. Mary's Academy and St. Mary's College, and recently has taken on the duty of overseeing the construction of what will be the largest church to have ever been constructed by the Society of St. Pius X in the world, the new Immaculata. We'll be speaking with Father Rutledge about the history of the Immaculata Chapel, why it was so dear to the heart of Archbishop Lefebvre, and what the design characteristics and considerations were with this new chapel. We'll be speaking about the costs, we'll be speaking about the location, when the groundbreaking will be, and when the anticipated completion date will be. All of this and more is starting now on the SSPX Podcast. Well, we're talking today with Father Patrick Rutledge, who's the prior of St. Mary's Academy College and Assumption Chapel, basically of of St. Mary's. Uh, Most places in the district, Father, we refer to by the chapel name, but St. Mary's is a little different how we refer to it as as the town. So you're the prior of Assumption Chapel and I guess all the things beyond that, right? That's correct. So I'm I'm in charge of the academy and the college and the parish here. And uh, of course, I have uh, 11 priests here helping me with all of that. But yeah, that's that's the job description, if you will. <laughs> Very good. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat with us a little bit today, Father. And uh, just wanted to, to dive right in. There's a lot that we could talk about regarding St. Mary's, but uh, wanted to speak with you about the uh, Immaculata Church Project, the new Immaculata Church Project. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, this is going to be the largest church of the Society of St. Pius X in the world. Is that correct when it's done? I I know that it's going to be the largest church that the society will have built. I don't know. I I think we might have a church over in Europe somewhere, even in the Netherlands or Belgium, that that's bigger. I'm not. I don't know that for sure. But it, it's at least the largest church that the society has ever built. Well, regardless, that's still a a pretty large project. And could you go through a little bit about? Uh, about the history of the project. Um, I know that even when the archbishop was alive, uh, he wanted to uh, rebuild the Immaculata after it was destroyed in a fire back in 78. In terms of in the past few years or since you've been in St. Mary's, could you give us a, a rundown of uh, how this how this project has been going? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the Immaculata has a long history. Um, it was the original Immaculata was actually built in 1909. And I think it's important because uh, one of the reasons why Archbishop Lefebvre loved the property here was because there were over a thousand priests, Jesuits, who were ordained in the Immaculata when it was owned by the Jesuits. So its history dates back quite a ways. Now, of course, when the society acquired the property in 1978, the Immaculata was part of what we, we acquired. And on, on November 8th that year, when we acquired the property, the Immaculata uh, burned down. So then wow. in 1979, the next year, um, Archbishop Lefebvre was, he even came and, and did a, a special blessing of the cornerstone on August the 15th, 1979, the Feast of the Assumption. And he wanted to use that cornerstone for the restoration of the Immaculata. So he was fully behind the restoration of it. 
But unfortunately, uh, the next year, uh, May 31st, 1980, heavy winds blew down the walls of the Immaculata. And so um, the project really fizzled out because of that. And and I, Father, you know, full, full disclosure, I grew up in St. Mary's. I spent 30 years of my life there, just about 30 years. And, uh, you know, I remember going up and, and playing in those ruins. And there was always the thought that, you know, it would be rebuilt. And would the walls be strong enough? Could we build on top of it? You know, would we demolish it and, and build in that same site? And, you know, as the parish grew, it, it became pretty apparent that that spot just just wasn't going to be feasible to, uh, to rebuild on right there in the middle of campus. Right. Something that we discussed uh, great length, in fact, in since I've been the rector, at least, um, in trying to look for um, a different location. Like you said, I mean, there were multiple attempts to try and rebuild the Immaculata on that site. Even into the 2000s, there were some very earnest attempts to do that. Then when I became the rector four years ago, we really started uh, discussing these things um, in great depth, especially I brought the district on board, Father Wegner, the district superior, and Mr. Eddie, Dave Eddie, who's been a huge help for the project. He brings a lot of professional experience. He knows large projects. It's been a, an enormous help. So we started discussing with, with the district and with the architect. At the same time, we were doing a, sort of a, a master plan of our academic campus. So we were able to fit the plans in with our parish campus. And it just became obvious that we weren't going to be able to be able to build, like you said, on the location of the old Immaculata. And there are multiple reasons for that. So as we were studying um, our campus master plan and our parish master plan, there were just all kinds of things that were red flags coming up as we thought about rebuilding in the center of our campus. Um, there's a constant competition for, for space here on campus between the parish and the college and the academy. You know, our, our chapel currently, we have all-night adoration, and it wouldn't be feasible to have a building in the middle of a school campus, especially that has dorms on it, where you have a, a, a building, a public building that's open 24 hours a day where people can come and do your, your campus. And it's just, especially in this day and age, we really uh, wanted to have a separation between the parish and the academy. And and there are logistical problems. I mean, just parking even. As you know, I mean, parking here on Sundays f for people to get into our small chapel that can seat, you know, 600 people is a great difficulty. Uh, so now you, you start offering a church that can seat, you know, 1,500 people. Where do you put all that parking? And and so with all those things considered, we, we finally decided that uh, we're going to have to build this church somewhere else on our property. Absolutely. And I was just going to bring that up, Father, the, the parking on, on Sundays. Uh, you know, people are, are uh, for those of you who are familiar with, with St. Mary's, uh, you know, the, the town and, and the campus, <laughs> the parking was, was insane, basically from 6 a.m. until about 1230 in the afternoon on on Sundays, you know, Mission Street is jammed with cars and, and you had to uh, basically build new parking lots. And it was uh, it was and, and still is a, a nightmare um, just just for parking. So St. Mary's has the unique ability uh, being a small town in the middle of the Kansas Prairie that, you know, the, the, the priory, the parish has a, a bunch of land up to, up to the north of, uh, of where all the buildings are currently. Uh, and you felt you could, you know, move the move the center of of the of the parish life with the church uh, up north a little bit uh, in, into a wide open field and and that's where the that's where the church is going to be. Uh, was there any consideration in in other places um, 
you know, beyond that, was there any consideration? Well, do we purchase new <laughs> new land, or was it always no? We're going to keep it as close as possible to uh, to the campus itself. The short answer is no, especially because it, it is the Immaculata. It is something that was sort of iconic to the campus. Uh, we wanted to build it on on the property as it is on uh, one location of our of our current campus, which which comprises about 450 acres. The reason why we decided the location that we're going to build it on is precisely because it's adjacent to our cemetery. Uh, we have many people who are currently buried there, and many people who will be buried there, and it makes sense. It's it's normal, in fact, historically, for the parish church uh, to be built proximate to to the cemetery to the parish cemetery and in fact we um, all things considered it, it worked out perfectly that we found that location uh, right next to the cemetery just south of the cemetery uh, where the immaculata could be built and we did soil studies and it was found to be a, a good location to build so we took that as a sign of providence and and we got the permission of course from the superiors at the time and they gave the green light to go ahead with building on, up by the cemetery, and if you're not familiar with uh, with the St. Mary's and and the the parish, and you're kind of scratching your heads, uh, you know, there's there's maps, and and you can kind of see what Father and I are talking about here. If you go to uh, anewimmaculata.org, uh, and that will give you kind of an idea and an overview of what we're talking about. If you haven't been to the website yet, um, speaking of speaking of you know the location, um, let's talk about the style. Uh, the old immaculata, the the one that that was destroyed, uh, that was built in in kind of that gothic revival that new gothic style uh, that was very popular in the early 1900s um, what were some of the design aesthetic choices um, and can you give a, our listeners a little bit of an insight into uh, the design that is chosen and uh, what was the inspiration behind it you know why why choose uh, what you did it's a good question we you know a lot of the buildings on campus match each other quite well some of them with you know certain uh, themes of, of different architecture. The Immaculata, when it was on campus, uh, was uh, it was built, like you said, in sort of a country gothic, I think is what they called it. It did indeed match the buildings on campus quite well. With the change of location, we felt we weren't as tied to one architectural style. And sure. uh, especially since cost was going to be a huge part of this project and making sure that the budget was, um, you know, within reason based on the professional advice that we had. And of course, deferring to our architect who has the main main job of design, we decided that the Ro uh, sort of a, you know, Romanesque revival style would, would be the most cost-effective way to build something that's this big, but that we could still make beautiful at the same time. Absolutely. And, and looking at pictures here on the website, Father, it is absolutely uh, beautiful. And I, I have some questions. Um, so the material, is that going to be local material, you know, based in, in Kansas, that kind of limestone material? There are a lot of different uh, materials we'll be using to build uh, the church. Uh, exteriorly, uh, it'll be mainly brick uh, with some, some uh, limestone uh, that will be local, uh, some stone that's cast stone, and uh, we'll even have some parts of the church that will uh, be stucco. And, and some of that we had to do just to, again, keep the budget as low as, as, as we needed. One of the things that Mr. Eddie, who's been helping us a ton on this project, keeps saying is this church wants to be a $60 million church um, with, <laughs> with the size that it, you know, that it is. 
you could easily spend $60 million on a church like this, but we don't have that. So, oh, sure. so we're doing our best to build something that fits the needs of the parish, uh, that, you know, for our size, but that's cost effective. And so, yeah, there will be a lot of, uh, the exterior will be mainly masonry work. Um, again, brick, stone, some cast, some limestone, some stucco, but yeah, it, it will certainly be quite beautiful when, when, when we're all said and done. I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit, Father, in terms of, you know, it wanting to be a $60 million church. Uh, it seems like whenever there's a building project, there's 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 two schools of thought and then some people scattered around the middle. Uh, one school of thought is don't spend a ton of cash. People need a church. Let's just get a church built. Let's put up a steel structure and, and have it done. And, you know, it's a million bucks. That's all you need. Uh, and then there's the other side of the coin, which is you're building a church for God and it needs to stand 500 years and, you know, look at the, uh, you know, the ancient churches of Christendom, you know, let's do that. And if we have to wait another 20 years, let's spend the 60 million. Uh, how did you, how did you find I assume you, you tried to find a happy medium between those two camps, Father. And and what were some of the considerations there? Right. No, no doubt. I mean, you could build a, a pole barn for, for very cheap, but with the, the amount of space that we need. But obviously, that wouldn't be fitting for the mass. And um, so balance has been really the... The watchword for us as we've as we've started this project and as we continue on in this project, um, with the amount of square footage that we're talking about, and we're talking about, uh, you know, sixty six thousand square feet. Wow. You know, any decision that you make is going to have dollar signs next to it, and in some, you know, when it comes to some decisions, it's going to have you know multiple zeros, you know, after that after that number. So obviously the the first thing that guided us was how much space do we need and what's the floor plan that we want. And then as we started getting into more of the details of sort of the exterior design, and now as we're getting into the interior design, we're just trying to find our way and, and you know, Providence is guiding us through that. But, you know, even just, for example, on the exterior, you look up at the cupola. Cupola is, is, of course, the thing that looks sort of like a dome over the transept, over the sort of the cross, you know, the, the church is in the Latin cross form. And the cupola is the thing there right over that cross where the statue of Our Lady is. What, what are we going to make that out of? Well, we originally had it in brick, in fact. But when you start looking at the steel costs, when you start to support that brick, when you start looking at the cost for scaffolding to get up there, when you start looking at, you know, where are they going to place the brick and, and all these questions that the contractors and the subcontractors started asking, uh, we realized that it added enormous amounts of money to uh, put brick up there. And well, you know what, it's it's high enough up that it's made out of stucco. It's not going to de- you know detract from the general beauty of the church. And it's going to save us that much more money. So that's an example of a little sacrifice that we had to make on aesthetics, maybe for the sake of the budget, but it's well worth it so that we can maybe put that money towards other things on the interior or uh, in other parts of the church. And uh, looking, I have a couple quick questions about that, and then we'll move on to to another point, Father. But uh, speaking of the dome, the, the cupola over the, the middle there, uh, it's 12-sided. Could you explain the, the significance there? It's typical uh, that these uh, these cupolas are polygonal. I mean, that they're usually 8-sided or 12-sided or something like that. So we, we decided to go with 12 just because um, well, you, it's a number. In fact, we often see associated with Our Lady, you know, 12 stars around her in the book of the apocalypse and, and things like that. So it was just a decision sort of rooted in the history of those kinds of cupolas. They're usually some kind of, you know, polygonal 
eight sided, twelve sided, something like that. But we just figured twelve would be a good number given given that significance with Our Lady, and that she would be she would be resting there on top of that, looking over the the town of St. Mary's. And that was my next question, Father. Looking at the looking at the plans, uh, it, it looks like Our Lady is sideways. That that's not a mistake. <laughs> that's not a mistake. It's a good question. It's funny because that that too has been a, a really interesting part of the project. Is just. I mean, you can build a, a church that um, looks like a whole lot of other churches, and um, but we, we certainly wanted this being the Immaculata, and for the Jesuits, they built the Immaculata as sort of a consecration of the country here in the heartland to the Immaculate Heart, so it has a great significance, and we didn't want uh, the church just to, you know, look like any other church. Um, so one of the more iconic aspects of the church that we came up with was placing Our Lady there at the highest spot so that she could be uh, really looking over the town. And, and so to answer your question, yeah, she, we have her placed um, facing south so that she's looking directly over the town uh, rather than maybe facing the west facade of the church or something, which you might expect. But no, that that's rooted in, in that uh, decision to to really make it a symbol of she's the immaculate one. She's the one who's, who's looking over the town. So we, we've talked about how this is going to be the, the new church for, uh, for the Assumption Chapel, for the St. Mary's Priory, for the St. Mary's Parish. Uh, what's going to happen to the current Assumption Chapel, which used to be a, a refectory, used to be a, a cafeteria back in the, in the Jesuit days? Assumption Chapel is currently used for everything, all of our masses here on campus, except for one Sunday mass, which we have in the auditorium. We use it for our parish masses and our academy masses, which happen on a daily basis. So once the parish moves up to the Immaculata, once it's built and the parish is able to move up there, uh, then we will continue to use Assumption Chapel for all of our um, masses for the academy and for the college, as well as for the divine office for uh, the sisters community community and the, the priest community that are here. So it, it will continue to be used. That's great. And and no plans on, you said the divine office of so the priests will stay uh, roughly in, in the same area. There's no plans on building a, a priory up north a little bit closer to the parish or? Right. The long-term plan is to have the parish priests located up at the Immaculata so that they can have okay. easy access to the church for, you know, especially, you know, imagine a sick call in the middle of the night or even during the day or something like that. Um, of course, we'll still be able to take care of that from where we're at. But no, we, we will eventually have the parish priests up there, but that'll be, um, it'll happen in stages. Let's talk about the schedule a little bit. It's been, shoot, I, I don't know what, the 30, 40 years in the making almost uh, to, to break ground on the, the new Immaculata. Uh, do you have a, a groundbreaking date already set? Yeah, it's uh, coming up rather quickly. In fact, uh, groundbreaking is scheduled for May 31st of this year, 2020, uh, which uh, we, we chose that date because, and I mentioned that earlier in the podcast, on May 31st, 1980, so 40 years ago, heavy winds came and, and knocked down the walls of the Immaculata before they could start restoration. So exactly 40 years after that date here, May 31st, 2020, we will break ground on the Immaculata. And uh, it happens to be the Feast of Pentecost, um, but it's also, oh, wow. as we know, the, the queenship of Our Lady. So um, yes. those winds that knocked down the uh, the old Immaculata will be coming back at Pentecost this year to, to rebuild. And everyone wants to know, Winter priests moving into the to the new church uh, construction. Do you have any timeline as to how long that will take, or, or any hopes and 
I assume as with all construction, it's going to take longer. But the general time frame right now, and and we have the contractors have everything scheduled down to a T. Oh, really? So we're, we're the groundbreaking on May thirty first is ceremonial. Uh, we will actually begin really earthwork and you know heavy heavy construction starting in probably July or August of this summer, and they've scheduled it that way so that we don't have to tent in. Um, the work that we're doing when we get to the masonry work, which would cost more money and time. So it should probably take about two years to completion from this summer. You know, God willing, we'll we'll be able to consecrate the church, uh, you know, maybe at the end of summer 2022 or maybe Feast of the Immaculate Conception, you know, 2022. Uh, we'll, we'll just have to follow Providence and see how the project goes. And there's been a great amount of money already raised. Uh, the, the total budget is is in the $30 million range. And there's, I think I just saw in the latest update on the website, Father, you're very close. What, 20, 28 million already either donated or pledged? Yeah, people have been extremely generous. So when we, when we kicked off this project in June, we had about $15 million on hand um, since June of 2019. Uh, we've raised over $11 million and we're up oh, wow. to uh, tw- 1,200 donors. And it's really neat because even though I'm putting the burden of building this church on the people of St. Mary's because it is our church, um, we're sure. still receiving interest and donations from all around the country and all around the world. We have 12 people from 12 different countries who have donated for for this project. So at this point, we're up to um, 26 million raised, a little over that. And, um, you know, of that, 20 million of that is cash on hand. And then uh, we'll, we have, you know, about three and a half million to raise um, for our, our current budget. That's fantastic. So with, with that amount, you should be able to finish everything that you have already planned, or will there be some things done in stages? I mean, again, you look at some of the cathedrals in Europe where the uh, the, the spires or bell towers took another 20 years to complete afterwards. Uh, are you anticipating any, uh, I mean, obviously there's always going to be work, you know, decoration, things like that to be done later on, but are you anticipating that any major part of the church will have to be done in stages or should it all be done uh, in kind of one one go. No, it's a, it's a fair question. I mean, in, in our experience with, with our projects, not only in the society, but, you know, even elsewhere is that things just don't go as, as you, you hope they'll go or as you anticipate sure. the best planning sometimes needs, uh, you need to adjust. Um, what we're trying to do, uh, so the way we have it planned is basically that we'll, when we get into this church, it will really look like a church. It will be more or less the final product. You know, if we have some shortfalls, uh, we have some sort of backup plans for that. You know, we might, for example, more more focus on the liturgical painting in the church. And then if we needed to do some stained glass windows down the road, well, we can always do that. Or, you know, if we need to finish the basement at a later date, um, sure. we can do that. So we do have some backup plans, but really, when we move into the church, when it's done, uh, we want it to be as beautiful as possible and, you know, as complete as we possibly can. We're right now kind of walking through some of the interior finishes and the interior design and um, just trying to make sure that all that's going to, to fit into place into the timetables and budget. Uh, so we're, we're currently kind of walking through through that. 
And as the as the prior of of the parish and overseeing the academy and the college, now you have what construction manager or <laughs> prior of prior of the largest construction project of the SSPX put on your shoulders as well. I, I know you're not the the day to day details guy for for this father, but uh, I'm, I'm sure there's there's been a team that's been assembled, so it's not just uh, you burning out here after a year or so. Absolutely. Um, I've prayed to St. Joseph for just sending us the right people for this project for uh, three years now. And uh, to answer your question, yeah, we have the right people here helping on this project. All the right people from the construction manager to the architect to the right local people and the district support. Um, everything's falling into place. And so we're gr- really grateful to St. Joseph for, for giving us that help. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge project. And I knew when we started these discussions three years ago, that it was going to add to my, to my workload. But, you know, it, it, it comes back to the whole reason why we're doing it. We just, we don't have a choice. We, we need a church. Our faithful are, yeah. are packed into our church and, and, and we need it. So it just really wasn't an option. To, um, like I said, we have all the right people in place and, uh, there are a lot of people working on this project on a weekly, weekly and daily basis. Uh, so, um, yeah, I have a lot of good help. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, in terms of how people can help, uh, you said you're still a little bit short in, in terms of donations. Well, a little bit, $3 million short. That's, that's a lot, <laughs> but in the grand scheme of things, you're, you're 10, 10% short. So obviously donations, uh, how else can people help you father? Sure. Well, and you mentioned it earlier, but, um, I just want everybody to know they can find out information on the project. Uh, at a new immaculata.org. Um, you can see all the updates there and you can subscribe and, and we'll email you those updates. Um, so, you know, just people who are interested, just go there and, and, um, and we'll email you updates if you sign, subscribe for them. As far as other help that people can do, well, by all means, if, if people are interested in donating to this project, it really is something that people will be able to enjoy, shall we say, um, beyond St. Mary's, I mean, it's given the size of the project and the significance of it, it really is something that is a statement for tradition. Um, you can see on our website, Archbishop Lefebvre's letter to one of our local faithful here back in the 70s, expressing how this, this church is a national basilica, he calls it. You know, he even says, let all the chapels in the society take up a donation for it. So we are putting the onus on the people here. It's it's our project. We need to be the ones who really build it. But we can understand that there are going to be a lot of people interested in it. So if people can help, we have these guilds that you can belong to. Uh, it's sort of a, show, <laughs> lack of a better term, a fun way to, to, be, to belong to the project, to think that you're helping build the carpentry work or stained glass or things like that, depending on what you can help, you know, help with. But, you know, even that lowest, that uh, lowest tier of giving, uh, it's just $17 a month, you know, over, over a five year period. So, um, that, that would put you in the carpenter's guild and you think about means you're helping build the confessionals where, you know, so many sins are going to be absolved in the future. So it's kind of a beautiful thought to to belong to a project like that. But ultimately it really is for our lady. Um, this, we're trying to build a home worthy of the Immaculata and we want this, everybody who's involved in this project to realize I'm building this for her and it's not just for us as a parish or whatever. It's, it's for our lady. So yeah, people can donate. That's a huge help. Spread the word too. If you're interested in the project, you know, um, 
send people the link to the website. We have, we're on social media too, on Facebook and Twitter and, and the different social media so that people who are out there can know about it. But I think, you know, if, if anybody does anything for the project and everybody can do this, it's really is to pray for it. Um, we have a lot of, um, steps to take and a lot of decisions to make. Um, and if, you know, I've asked everybody here in the parish to pray the memorari of Our Lady for the success of the project, to add that prayer to their, to their daily rosary. And it's a short little prayer. And I mean, if, if people out there wanted to just say that prayer every day for the project, that would be an enormous help. And we know Our Lady would, would hear those prayers. Absolutely. Well, Father, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us about it and uh, obviously wish you the greatest success. And I can't wait to see the construction start and and unfold uh, both on the website and and next time I visit St. Mary's as well. So uh, yeah, if there's uh, anything people can do, like you said, prayers, donations, and uh, we'll be be excited to see uh, finally St. Mary's get get the church that it's needed since, oh shoot, the mid-90s at least. Absolutely. No, thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the SSPX podcast as we dove into the new Immaculata Project with Father Patrick Rutledge. If you'd like more information about the project, if you're able to donate and help, or if you'd just like some basic information about where the chapel will be located and what it's going to look like, you can visit anewimmaculata.org. And as always for the SSPX podcast, well, we're not going to ask for donations this week because maybe you'd be willing to help the Immaculata Project this week instead. Uh, But one way you can help is by subscribing to the SSPX podcast and especially by rating the SSPX podcast in your podcast app or program. This is what helps more people find the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism. Next week, we'll be speaking with Father Paul Robinson for an episode of Questions with Father. And then in two weeks, speaking with Mother Mary Joseph of the Franciscan Sisters of Christ the King. So please stay tuned for those episodes. If you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode. It will come right up in your podcast feed. Until next time, thank you for listening and God bless you.